morning, everyone. Yo. I don't know how I'm going to do this. The Lord had me in tears in the bathroom this morning, and then again now, pictures of me in tears. So I'm not a big baby. It's just a bit of a softy. But, yeah, there is, there is a weight this morning. There is a weight on the Word. There is a weight on what God wants to say. And, and I just want to give a bit of a background to the preach. Um, thanks, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't the worship good this morning? We have carpet. We have better sound. Was that good? Did you feel more relaxed? Hey? Yeah. No, it, it, it was beautiful. It was anointed and it sounded good. It's nice to have both. No, so I don't know if you guys remember when uh, Kevin spoke on worship. Uh, a few weeks ago, and praise and worship, and he was talking about all these occasions for worshiping God. Remember, it was the PP message, like praise and pause when you pee. And and so a couple of days after that, um, I was awoken like two in the morning, and I went into the lounge because I couldn't sleep, and I was sitting there, and I was like looking at the TV, and like, maybe I should watch some TV to make my eyes tired, maybe... Maybe I should just watch some news or something. And then I remembered, Kevin mentioned this scripture. It said, if you wake in the night, like, praise him. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I haven't done that in many years because normally I like to sleep. And so I started just praising God. And as I was praising him and just, and just having fellowship with him, he just started to speak um, and show me his church and, and speak to me about finances, actually, and how people are under so much weight financially and oppressed by money and even disillusioned uh, about their understanding of, of, of money in the kingdom and those things. And, uh, and I really felt um, that was what was on God's heart. You know, no one told me to come speak about money. What I have to say does not benefit me personally in any way whatsoever. I'm not employed by the church. So if, if, if I talk about giving... It's not to prompt you to give more that benefits me. So I just want to put that disclaimer out there because I'm really trusting that God will bring us into a greater place of financial freedom. And that's it's a freedom from the oppressive nature of money. I, want to, I titled this message called The, the Two Masters. And that, that comes out of um, the reference that Jesus spoke about in, in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, because you'll, you'll love one and hate the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, or God and mammon. A lot of translations say mammon, and that mammon is a biblical term for riches, and it's used to describe the debasing influence of material wealth. So it's like the bad money. There's money, and there's mammon, which is like the bad mammon. So, so mammon's become a bit of a master in our life because it's really an all-consuming thing. I'm under it. I know many of us are under it. And there's a lot of tension for our hearts, for our minds in this space. All right? These two masters are in fierce competition to influence you and to influence your life and influence your thoughts. And there's, there's three areas I want to pack that are primary areas that he comes at the bad master, and that is your value, your identity as a person, your heart, 
And thirdly, your faith, your, your religion, your view of God. All right? So I just want to expose the lie that we often think that money makes you happier. Okay? Money does not make you happier. Some of you will say, John, give me a couple hundred thousand. I'll show you happiness. Yeah. Money doesn't make you happy. See, money just makes life easier. Joy comes from the Lord. True happiness comes from the Lord. And it's eternal. Okay? It comes from the Spirit of God. And so money makes a better servant than a master. But many of us are under its lordship. And not Christ's lordship. And money is ruling us. And I'm going to show you a couple photos here. And some of the ways that money rules us. Okay. Those of you who have teenagers or those of you who are young adults, this is the shoe to have. If you do not have this shoe, you are not a part of society. You are not a part of humanity. You do not have value. You are not cool. Is my daughter in here? I didn't tell her I was going to talk about this. Shame. And I didn't know this was a thing until like, like there was this tap that was dripping. It was like Nike Air Force One, Nike Air Force One, Daddy Nike Air Force One. I'm like, what is with this shoe? And I look and all oh, the kids have this shoe. So if you don't have this shoe, all you can think about is, how am I going to get that shoe? It's, it's an all-consuming thought. Like you go and you see other kids have it and it's just this thing. It's just ruling you. And it's dominating you. And um, so we did buy the shoes, and <laughs> but this is the thing. Okay, so that, that shoe in the upper right, guess how much that costs? Huh? 500,000. Not even close. A 6.6 .6 million for that shoe. So Louis Vuitton, Air Force One. So you can see the association that, like, if I just get the Air Force One, I'm part of this, this wealthy identity, you know? We, we, we see like, <laughs> okay, enough about the shoes. Identity is in Christ, not shoes. Next slide. Okay, so. So some, some of the guys, when you go camping and you're opening up the hatchback, I want to talk about the model of the car you have, and then you're getting your tent out and your neighbor comes rolling in that and you just go, ugh, just, you know, I'm unworthy. And your heart leaps. So, I mean, that car defines your masculinity, hey? Absolutely. Says the man in a pink shirt. Yeah. <laughs> but he is, he is very secure. But, but some of you guys say, say, John, but that's the old spec. Can we see the new spec? There's a new one. Okay. Okay, next slide. Okay, so I didn't know there was, thing, there was a thing about the, the Fortuna bombs. Kevin was talking about the Fortuna bombs on the sidelines of the rugby field. So, like, you know, you need this car because it's going to give you security. You can put the kids in there, the dogs. There's all these practical needs, but it's also sometimes our identity is in our things. Okay, so if you're a mommy, you haven't arrived if you have that car. It's a nice car, you can have it, if you can afford it, but it doesn't define who you are. But if you really want to be a cool mommy, you'll take this one. There we go. 
That is, if you have this car, you have arrived, folks. Next slide. And if you live here, you have made it. Now, I'm not mocking people who live there. We know people who live there. They love God. There's people in that community that need Jesus. But if, if you're putting your family on the altar, and you've got a two-career family burning the candle at both ends so that you think you can have security and identity and comfort by, by an address, you've thought wrong. You've been oppressed by mammon. If you can afford to live there and, and you, you like that, great. I'm not saying don't do these things or don't have things, but we cannot let things consume us. Next slide. Okay, that folks. So just as like things could make you feel better about yourself, that we have things that make you feel terrible about yourself. So this is my fascia at my house. And when I see it, I just feel condemned. I just feel like, okay, I haven't arrived. I don't have any money. You know, my friends, when we buy, they say, John, uh, you know, they have painters in Durbanville for these things, you know? Next one. And there's, there's where we have a table outside, and then I look, and whenever I eat, I just look, and I just think, like, I, do, I just don't have enough. I don't measure up. And these things that we see speak to us. And the enemy uses things as opportunities to condemn us or to put our identity in worth or value out of things instead of him. All right. So I'm not saying you mustn't have things. Just don't let things have you. Amen? All right. And if you want to buy things so that you can impress people, and I'm, I'm talking about the youthies, and you only accept it by those people, if you have those things, those aren't really your friends. You know? Yeah. So our value and identity is in Jesus Christ. You are royalty. You were purchased with the most expensive currency of all, the blood of his son. And I just want to mention some affirming scriptures, some accepting scriptures from the gospel. Can we pull up Romans 15 verse 7? It says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And 1 Peter uh, 2 verse 9. It says, but you are chosen people. You are royal priesthood. You are royalty people with <laughs> Air Force Ones that cost 6.6 .6 million. You're more than that. A holy nation. You're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we cannot let money crowd out the identity that Christ has given us, that he has accepted us. And God has given us through his son. But money can also be a trap to us. And, you know, there's a lot of suggestions in the gospel. You know, they talk about things and, okay, that's good. It's good and healthy. But there's a, there's a strong warning around finances. And that's in 1 Timothy 6, 11, uh, 8 through 11. It says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Okay, this is like a heads up, guys. Money can do this to you. If you're not careful, if you're not observant in how it influences your thoughts and heart, it can plunge you into ruin. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's not a fang, it's a pang. What is a pang? A pang is a sharp uh, attack of mental anguish or, or remorse or guilt. So money has the ability to do that, to cause that in you. It says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Okay, so that's a hectic warning uh, from the Apostle Paul. But when God has your whole heart, money doesn't have the power to enslave you. But we do get enslaved radically, and it starts in our thought life. Um, Marie Lawson, where's Marie? She's a, she's around. Okay, so she spoke at our, uh, we had an elders or leaders uh, camp last year. And she was saying that the average person has about 6,300 thoughts in a day. Okay, that's a lot of like, information going on. Like, should I wear the shoes? Should I turn left? Or, you know, all these things. And then there's many of these masters thought, the evil master, comes and influences us and condemns us. You know, I'll be driving down the road and I just look at the neighbor's house and their garden's nicer than mine and this and that. We, we just do comparing and we start worrying and, you know, I need to get brakes this month and next month, okay, my wife's car needs tires and then I got to save for this and the kid has braces and then we got to get more uniforms and schools. And it's just, and we don't, we don't have enough to cover everything. We're thinking about it. It's occupying our minds all the time and it's weighing people down. And God wants, to know, wants us to know that we have the mind of Christ. What is, what is the mind of Christ for? It's not for worrying and being consumed with financial thoughts. The mind of Christ is for communion with the Father. It's for coming into that relationship that Jesus has brought us into. He brought us into the same quality of relationship that he has with God the Father. That's what he paid the price for. And when you experience God in that space, he settles your heart. Wants and desires, they seem to kind of melt away. What did David say? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in want. I shall not be consumed with all these things that I need and want. I just want to share a bit of a, a testimony. Something that happened to me um, a couple of years ago, a few years ago. A friend of mine said, can we go for coffee? And I said, yeah. Cool. Have some more coffee. And, and he, he asked me, he said, John, how much debt do you have? I said, well, you know, we've got the car, we got the Verso, we got a few years to pay that off, and then we just moved to this house and got a bond, so we've got about 18 years left to pay off that bond. And I told him the number, and he said, uh, he said John, my wife and I have been praying about this and thinking about it, and we, we want to pay all your debt. And I was like, what? I was like, camera, you know, like, <laughs> it's good. And, no, I mean, and, and he said, we've been praying about it, and we don't want you guys to just live for the banks and be and focus on that. We want you to just focus on the God, the king, and his kingdom. And he says, the money that you would have spent on your debt, you know, save that, and you, and you can spend the interest of whatever, you know. And I, and I remember just that whole cloud, that whole oppressive nature that money has. It just went, it's just, it's just gone. And I was like, this is what it's like to live in, in freedom. And the next few months after that, 
you know, I, I, I was free of everything. And, now, and then I started to have these new desires at different levels starting to creep into my heart. Like, oh, we were going to go away to George, you know, for December. But maybe you can go to Italy now. And, you know, it's just like I, I couldn't afford that car. Maybe I can afford this car now. And, and so, so it was funny how I saw my heart started to shift. The goalpost shifted. As affordability shifted, the goalpost shifted. And I saw how money replaced God in, in, in three unique ways. It gave me a sense of peace, you know, because I didn't have this oppression from finances. But the reality, God is the prince of peace. He is our source of peace. So there was this false peace that I got from not having money or from having money. And then I became completely self-reliant. So I didn't, I didn't pray as much because I didn't trust God as much because I had, I had money. And I stopped, I stopped relying on him. I relied on myself, rather. And the other area is that you have the sense of control. So because you have money, uh, I could do what I want, and I could buy what I want. So, and that's a lie. God is in control. And every, every financial decision is a spiritual decision, too. So just because you can afford it doesn't mean you should do it. So the reality was that money didn't fix my problems, it just, my problems got bigger. And the thing is that only, so more money is, I'm trying to say more money isn't going to solve all of our problems. More money will help some of us, yes. But the issue is Jesus wants to know that it, you will never hunger and you will never thirst when you're filled with him. And this thirst for the things of this world and this hunger for identity in the things of this world ceases in his presence. And the third area that these two masters compete for is in the area of your faith, your, your religion, your belief system. And man has a history of using religion and money to, to often hurt the church. <clears throat> we see this in the, the early church, um, Catholic church in the early days. They used to tell people you had to pay them money to get your family members into heaven, or you had to pay uh, for forgiveness to get your sins forgiven. And so people didn't have the Bible in those days. They didn't have the scriptures. They didn't know what it said. And they were just like led by these guys and very much oppressed through religion. And we've seen prosperity teachers also do a lot of damage to a lot of people. A few years ago, I was watching some Christian television. A lot of it stuff's dangerous. And there was a guy in Israel. And we were in Israel. And um, I, feel, uh, I feel the spirit. There's a, there's a special blessing God wants to pour out on you for a $500 seed, like specifically you've paid $500, like put your credit card details there, you know, God's going to bless you specifically. I'm like, what is that? That's like child abuse. It's, it's people who know some stuff and you have vulnerable people who, who love God and like, oh, and these teachers of the word are like telling them to do these things. It's damaging. And so trust is, is broken. And all the prosperity teachers, you know, they teach primarily what you can get out of God. And they pursue fame and they pursue fortune and making a name for themselves. And this has hurt the church. And this is what God was showing me that night. It's like, the church, trust has been broken. The enemy has come into this space and, and poisoned the, the thing around money. Just like he's come into the area of sex and something that was so beautiful that was to, to show this intimacy between man and a wife is, is a reflection of the, the intimacy we have with God. And the enemy's taken that thing and he's distorted it and made it disgusting and poisoned our children and just thrown it out everywhere and made life all about that. 
sex and sexuality. And the enemy's like, one, it was God's gift. That his idea of sex was, was God's idea. And this thing has been destroyed. And so, so finance is, is something that God wants us to be good stewards of. And, and this thing has been polluted. And I felt like, you know, there are many Christians that have become suspicious about churches and stuff like that because of these damaging preachers and even damaging history. And God wants to set people free from those mindsets because there is a blessing in being generous and there's a blessing contributing to the house of God. Number years, I've seen so many people discouraged in their walk with the Lord because they haven't got financial breakthrough. I had so many financial burdens. Sometimes people have said to me, John, you know, we, we go to church every Sunday. You know, we pay our tithe every month. But, you know, our finances are just in a mess, you know. The Bible speaks of abundant life. Where is this abundant life that he speaks of? And that's a very harsh expectation to, to have because... We don't have a relationship with a transactional God. I did this, so you must do that, Lord. He's done everything for this relationship that we have. And sometimes people can have this, this religious view or transactional view of God, and it's, and it's hurtful even to, them, even to themselves. There's a lot I want to say, and I'm not going to squeeze it all in. Let me get some water here. The abundant life that Jesus spoke about is that you would have his life. You wouldn't necessarily have life easy. You have his life. When you have his life, that is better than anything that this world could offer. And the enemy has also used um, religion and the Old Testament law to crush our faith. And I want to unpack some of that stuff because we do mix Old Testament law with New Testament. And we need to have the right view. Okay? So there are a lot of blessings spoken about in the Old Testament. And there's a lot of curses spoken about in the Old Testament. If you read like Deuteronomy 28, it's just loaded with blessings. You know, blessed. Are you when you're going in, and blessed are you when you're going out, and blessed are your children, and blessed your field, and everything. And we love those scriptures. We'd love to hear it. But they're very conditional scriptures because they're linked to following the law. And if you don't, then there's all these curses, like cursed will be your children, cursed are you. It's just like curse after curse. It's like hectic curses. And we know that Jesus broke the curse of the law. He broke the oppression of the law by becoming a curse. And what undoes a lot of that Old Testament thinking and some of the New Testament scriptures, if we could pull up uh, James 2, verse 10. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just one point has been guilty of it all. So, you know, the, one of those things that you're cursed if you don't honor your father and mother. Well, I didn't really do that last week, so now I'm like cursed with everything. Okay? So Jesus took away that. We are under the law of liberty now because of his blood. In Galatians 3, 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He became that curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And that is the cross that he's referring to. And also just want to dive into Malachi 3, verse 7 to 12. And this is often used in um, tithes and offering messages. But I think 
it's also been misused to a degree. It says, return to me. Okay, I'm starting at return. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. He says, you are cursed with a curse. Okay, so remember, Christ has become a curse for you and for me. He says, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test. And I like to say this, people. It's better for you to trust in God than to be putting God to the test. Because God doesn't want to be on this transactional basis. Like I said, he's done everything to be on a relational basis with us, even in the area of our finances. He says, test me in this. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer. So, so God is not the mafia. You don't have to pay him protection money to keep the devourer off your back. Otherwise, he's going to like send the hitman after you. All right? That's not his heart. You see, there's a big difference between giving a tenth or paying a tithe, according to the Old Testament law. There is still a need for a tenth of our contribution, our gross income, to be given to the house of God. So that we can have people and ministers in the church. There is a great need for ministers in this church. We, we can't afford it. 10% was the original benchmark for tithing. Before there was even need for a law. So we, we see Abraham gave a tenth before the law was created. He gave a tenth to Melchizedek. And then you see there was a need for the law because there was now a temple and we need to have the Levites and the priests and there needed to be Food and sacrifices there, and then they made it a law. All right, then, we, so it, it's important to not tithe on that perspective. Okay? We know that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. And with that, it produces great generosity within us. And that's God's heart. You know, to honor him with our finances, honor him with our Parenting, honor him with our life, honor him with our jobs, honor him with our children, our worship. All that we have is his. So it's not much to ask for sub. But some people have a serious issue with, with giving because there's this burden of like the spirit of this world. And it's like money, I need money, I need stuff, and it's, and it's all consuming. But it breaks God's heart to have that win your heart more than just contributing to the needs of the saints and the needs of the house of God. Two Corinthians eight, one through seven. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, listen to this, they're in a severe test of affliction, but yet their abundance of joy. They still had a joy because joy comes from the Lord. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their measure, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, 
Why would they do this? This is a blind act of faith. So they're being afflicted. They can't afford it, but yet their hearts just cause them to give. Do you know what? God makes up for that kind of giving every single time. When he stretches you to give and you just respond in faith, he's not going to leave you hanging. That's not his heart. But we can think like, oh, what, what am I not going to have money for? God will make up for it. He's your dad. Okay. For they gave according to the means, I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly. They begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Can you imagine? Please, can we give to these guys? And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Which act of grace is that? It's the grace gift of generous giving. You see, when generosity comes from a place of love, sacrificial love, you know, God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. So if Christ is in you, he's, this giver, this guy who's a giver, He's in you. He's going he's gonna to want to stretch you into giving. And I was recently in the Chirbeau and, and preaching there, and I had a, a vision of a, a storehouse. And God was telling the message for them was to, to store up earthly treasures. And I was like really perplexed. Like we hear it a lot, store up treasures in heaven, store up, not, sorry, I said earthly treasures. Eternal treasures and treasures in heaven. Don't store up earthly treasures. Like focus on that thing. I say, well, how do you, how do you fact, focus on uh, heavenly treasures, eternal treasures? Like what are they? Really, what do they look like? It doesn't, it doesn't actually mention it. So I said, Lord, please help me. What, is, what does this mean? He said, a heavenly treasure is something that costs you sacrificially. It may cost you your time. It may cost you money. It may cost you efforts in some ways. But every time that we give out of a place sacrificially, God honors that. And a tenth is a stretch. It's sacrificial. But it's, it's needed for the house of God to grow. It's needed for the gospel to go forth. Amen? See, when you focus on what you don't have, you won't be generous. You won't give. But when you focus on what you do have, and you know you have Christ, a generous heart is produced. You know, and before this meeting, this morning, I wanted to say something. I, I wasn't sure if I was, it was my place to say it. Well, I sort of let you guys know that our church has doubled in size. And yet the contributions have been the same before it is after the doubling. So there's a lot of people that don't get the value or see the benefit or care. And the Lord showed me, he said, there are so many people that I've called to be my ministers, but they can't come because there's no money. And the need is double. There are marriages on the rocks. There are people that, that need help, that need counseling. There's much of the flock that needs pastoral care. I, I'm, I have a full-time job. This is not my job, but I do it because I love the king and his kingdom, and I love you guys. But there's not enough servants out there. We can't afford it. And people think, like, oh, you know, I don't trust the church. I don't know what they do with the money. You know, look at this fancy building. That's, that's not the heart to have. 
people gave out of this. This, church, this. this building's paid for because people just, God moved on their heart to give. But there's a lot of people in Durbanville that need to know his word and to know his heart. And we need servants for that. And, and one of the ways that God has established throughout the centuries is, is through contributing to the needs of the local church. And so I just wanted to end with this. That this, this battle between the two masters, the battle for your value and identity, the value for your heart, and the value for your faith, would be won by God. That you would not be sitting under the oppressive nature, the dripping tap, that this second master, the mammon master, has done in your life. And if you feel like me, I need freedom from this too. If you want breakthrough in this area of your life, then stand up, because I, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for you. Hey, sorry. If there are people here who feel oppressed by your financial situations, it's consuming your mind, it's consuming your thoughts, I want to pray for breakthrough in your life. And I'd ask you to please stand. Or please come to the front. Maybe we can just... Um, John, you can come to the front. You can break the ice. I know, Greg, if you want to minister. This, this message isn't my idea. God was burdened with the burden that you have. That you're thinking about money. You don't know where it's going to come from next. By the third, you're thinking, when's the next paycheck? It's like, I'm out already. We had this joke at work in January. We all talk about, what day are we getting paid for January? Oh, yeah, the 198th day of January. We need to come out of this oppressive spirit that is behind money, that is consuming our thoughts, it's consuming our thinking. God wants you to have the mind of Christ for remaining in fellowship with Him and not worrying. Why does Jesus remind us, look at the birds of the air, look at these things. Your Father knows. He knows your situation. But He doesn't want you to be oppressed by your financial situation. He wants you to be free. Yeah, so let's just, let's just stress our hands towards Him. Yeah, Lord, this morning we make a decision to put our trust in You. A loving Father who doesn't want to see His children just oppressed, stressed, thinking about it all the times. A good dad wants to see his children filled with joy, triumphant over these things, and free. I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would do that. You would unlock. You would expose the lie, that we would see it for what it is. As the thoughts come in again, the normal pattern, that we would stop it at its doorstep and say, no more. My God shall supply my needs. And let us also just have a distaste for the emptiness that is in this world, that we need more stuff and more things to feel better about ourselves. Lord, deliver us. Deliver us, Lord God, from the continual visual bombardment. Oh, you need all this stuff. You need all this stuff to feel better about you. Lord, you help us to love us because you loved us first and you saved us. 
You fill that void in our heart. There is nothing in this world that can fill the emptiness of the void in your heart except Jesus Christ. And I don't know if there are people here that know this master, the master of money that's ruling them, but they don't know the other master who's actually the good shepherd. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ and you want that ache and that void of emptiness in your heart to stop and you want to receive Him today and accept Him as your Lord, I want to pray for you as well. If there's anyone like that, say, I'm tired of being ruled by money. I don't know God, but I want to trust Him with my heart today. So anyone there, just raise your hand. I can pray for you as well.